All right, last week we were in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel. Saul is in the midst of not hearing from the Lord and chooses to go and pursue a medium and all the consequences of that. One of the important things to point out, to continue to point out in Samuel, there is a constant contrast between David and Saul. And in these scenes that we're watching, Saul is engaging his behavior at the same time that David is engaging in his behavior. So at the end of chapter 27, we're told that that David's had these internal conversations in his heart, and he's determined that it is the best thing for him to do is to go and live in the midst of the enemies. At the end of chapter 27, Achish, the king of Gath, says that David has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. And that the idea is that David has made himself a stench to his people. And Achish says, therefore, he's going to be my servant forever. Beginning of chapter 28 says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together uh, for war to fight with Israel. And Achish says to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardsmen forever. So the scene shifts into Saul's narrative, but at the same time, David is now gathering his men with Achish and his men, and they are all traveling to the north to go and meet with the rest of the Philistine princes. So that's where we begin in chapter 29. So Saul is doing the same. He is gathering the tribes of Israel to go and meet. So all this gathering in the armies are meeting up in this Jezreel Valley. So chapter 29 says, The Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. I'm going to bring up another translation for this word fountain. It's, it's the idea of eye. It's the idea of sight. I'm bringing this up now to say multiple times in this chapter, you need to press into what is the eye seen? What is David seen? What is Achish seen? What are the Philistines seen? And ultimately, what is, what is God seen? What does the eye of God see in these circumstances? Because God is behind the scenes putting all of the chess pieces where he desires them to be. But this whole, pay attention to what does your eye see? The lords of the Philistines passed into review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed into review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day, I found no fault in him since he defected to me. And that word defected literally means since he prostrated himself down to me. Remember, David has made himself a servant of Achish, an enemy. Verse 4, but the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, make this fellow return that he may go back to the place where you have appointed for him and do not let him go down with us to the battle lest in the battle he become our adversary, thus he become our Satan. For with what could he be reconciled, what could 
he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely, as the Lord lives, which is super weird, he's invoking the name of Yahweh. Was he a believer? Probably not. Is he just being respectful of David and his God? Probably. As the Lord lives, you have been upright. You have been straight, David. And you're going out and you're coming in with me. And the army is good in my sight, in my eye. For to this day, I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. And again, their eye is not favorable towards David. Therefore, return now and go in peace. That you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And that word displease, again, it has to do with the eye. So David said to Achish, what have I done? To this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Who were Achish's enemies? David's people. This is heavy. Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as a messenger, as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up to battle with us. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants, whom you who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rode early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So in this, we are watching David in a moment in his life where most commentaries define him as backslidden. We have watched David multiple times seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord for his guidance. We've seen Saul being handed over to David's hands. We've seen David two times. I'm not going to strike the Lord's anointed dead. Again, we've watched him suffer for a decade, go through all the different harsh treatment of, of Saul and Saul's men and his advisors. And a point in David's life, we talked about already, that in his heart, he's, he's tired, he is weary, he is thin, he is worn out, and his best decision is now to go and dwell in the midst of the enemies. And think about, the, think about this picture. So he's a believer in Yahweh, and he's made the choice not to remain with Yahweh's people, but he's made his choice to go make his home in the world, in the midst of the enemies. You can go back and sit with Lot and Abraham when Lot chooses to pitch his tent towards Sodom. Lot made a decision to dwell in the midst of a people that were in opposition to Yahweh and had consequences in Lot's life. This has consequences in David's life. So much so that he has prostrated himself and submitted himself to be the servant of the king of the Philistines. Achish is the king of Gath. Where was Goliath from? Gath. David has this reputation from the day that he struck Goliath in the head with a stone 
and went up to Goliath and drew out Goliath's sword and cut off his head. And the battle that, was, that followed after that, when Saul and David are coming back, this is when the nation of Israel is singing, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. And that song, that act in David's life, this is what lifted him up into this position in the culture that caused Saul to be jealous of David. That's the moment when, because of Saul and his disobedience, that the kingdom is being stripped from him. The Holy Spirit has been removed from Saul. A, a distressing spirit has come upon him that in his insanity that he has been hunting David. So here you have David is submitted himself to the king of the giant that he executed, their champion. And Achish, in his eyes, what does Achish see in David? He sees a loyal and faithful and trustworthy servant to the point as a king and as a general. Achish's vision of David is, I want this man side by side with me, even though he has fled from his true master, Saul. And the rest of the Philistine kings, they're saying, Achish, you're, you're crazy. You're going to put David and his men at our rear? If David wants to be made right in the eyes of his people, how is he going to do it? Take our heads. He took Goliath's head. He was victorious in battle. That's what made him praiseworthy in his culture. If you let him come with us to battle, that's how he can be reconciled to his master. Send him away. So, Achish, in his relationship with David, as David is living in the world, the man who was closest to him, Achish, in that deception in the relationship that's going on, Achish doesn't have any complaints about David. What does that communicate to you about David's behavior while he's dwelling in the midst of the Philistines? He's living like the Philistines. He hasn't abandoned his God. He's not bowing down to the gods of the Philistines. But his behavior is praiseworthy of the world around him. And put that into our context. This would be a you having you and a friend that's, uh, you know, just one of your world friends, doesn't love the Lord whatsoever. You have a good relationship with him. And he's now introducing you to his other friends. And his other friends are saying, wait a minute, isn't, isn't so-and-so a Christian? No. Because he does, this is what he does in my midst, in my presence, everything's good. He's, he's not one of those Bible-thumping Christians. That's the perspective of what David has been living for the last year and a half as he's dwelling amongst the Philistines. What does your eye see in David? What does your eye see in your own relationships? Is you may be one person in the congregation and around Christians. You may be somebody else at work. You may be somebody else at home. You may be somebody else with your football friends. And you may be somebody else with, you know, anyways. We can put on these different masks and these different relationships. And David has put on an intentional mask as he's dwelling in the presence of the Philistines. And in that, the mask that he is wearing, Achish's eyes and David doesn't see any contrast to the other people around him. 
and wants them in battle with them. The Philistines, the other Philistine princes, their eyes are more correct. They have a better judgment of David's character in the moment of saying, hey, wait a minute, we know what this guy has done in the past, and we don't want him on the battlefield because the Philistines have experienced before the Israelites that were in their presence and in line with them in a, in a battle with Saul earlier on. Um, in, in Samuel, that the Israelites who were with the Philistines turned on the Philistines in the midst of that battle. So these Philistine lords are saying, hey, no way, send him home, send him on his way. What's, what does David see? And this, this is really hard. We don't get anything in regards to David's prayer, to his relationship. We see in chapter 27 where we're told that he is not attacking anybody of the nation of Israel, that as they're going out on raiding parties, that he's attacking the Amalekites and others. So we would want, I want to think about David, my eyes in regards to David in the scene. I want to think David's just playing a game with Achish. What do you mean I can't go? Right? But there's a lot, many commentators thinking David's, David is ready to go fight against his family. Where would David's heart have to be for that to be true? How far away? He has his relationship with God for sure, but how distant has that relationship grown over this period of time in his life? How distant has his relationship with the children of God been broken? He's been rejected by his people, right? King Saul has rejected him. Saul's advisors have rejected him. Essentially, the other 11 tribes except Judah have rejected David. David is now dwelling in the midst of the enemy, and now the enemy is rejecting David. How do you think David is feeling in this moment? Who likes to be rejected? Who gets angry? Who lashes out? Who cries? David is low. David is ready to take up arms by his own words because we don't have anything to contrast it. It seems like David is ready to join forces with those who should be his foes to go to battle against his friends because he's been hurt, making bad decisions in his heart. The enemies have enough wisdom to send him away but really, we need to focus on the eye of God in this circumstance because what God is doing, God is removing David from being in a position that he ought not to be in. And there's times in our lives where we can keep bashing our heads against a door. I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, and God will open the door and let you go through where you ought not to go. But in the sovereignty of God in this moment, remember, Saul is still moving and doing his thing. So David's in this scene presenting himself. This is before the Philistines get into the Jezreel Valley. So Saul is coming up with his forces. David is going to be dismissed and David goes away. Then the Philistines go into the valley, uh, the Jezreel Valley and are in line for war. And that's the moment that we have this Saul is greatly distressed and he inquires of the Lord, but he's doing it in his flesh and God doesn't answer him. And then he finds himself, you know, pursuing a medium and bringing up Samuel from the dead, just super weird scene where Samuel, again, as a prophet, gives him the word that you and your sons are gonna die tomorrow. 
Well, we're told in this next chapter, in chapter 30, that when David and his men depart, that they, it says they happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. So it's taken David and his men to get three, uh, three days to get back down to the south where Ziklag is. In that time, that's when Saul is pursuing the, the medium and, and what's going on in the prior chapter. While David and his men, so when uh, Achish came to David and said that you're going to go to battle with me, David gathered his, his men and they all go up to the north. The Amalekites see an opportunity to come up against David's town, Ziklag. Now, we were told in chapter 7, who was David attacking while he was living in Ziklag? The Amalekites. There's been these battles going on, and David hasn't allowed anybody to live from those communities, but the Amalekites that are down there, they know that somebody's been attacking, and now it's their turn to attack because Ziklag is now weak. So while David and his men are going and presenting themselves with the enemies to go to battle against the Lord's children, all hell breaks loose in David's home. And I don't use that word to be crass or anything, because look at the darkness and the fire and the pain that occurred from all of these different things that are going on. So the Amalekites invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters have been taken captive. Can you imagine? And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. And this isn't just little tears. They wept until they had no more power, no more strength to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because of the soul of all the people was grieved, was bitter, and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, and you shall surely overtake. And without fail, recover all. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where, they stay, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary, they were so exhausted that they could not cross over the brook Bezor. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate 
And they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Carathites and the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight, understood to be dawn, until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, nothing was missing, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor, so that they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. And all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us, and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is, is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now when David came to Ziklag... He sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, to those who were in Ramoth of the south, to those who were in Jatir, to those who were in Ar-or, however you say that, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were, uh, were in Eshtemboa, those who were in Rakal, those who were in the cities of the Jeremielites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Horma, those who were in Korashan, those who were in uh, Athak, and those who were in Hebron. To those and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. Did you get all that? I thought I'd read it all and get it all squared away in your minds and hearts in the activities that are going on. So this is what I want you to see and what I want you to pay attention to because this is what the Lord is highlighting. 
God is sending David and his men away from the battle because the battle is where Saul is going to die. So God is removing David and any potential accusation that David took Saul's throne through murdering David and murdering his sons. So the judgment that is going to come upon Saul and his household is a promised act of God. God is removing David and his men from that act. But when David and his men are returning back to this community and the land of the enemies that they probably shouldn't be in in the first place, their vision that they see as they are drawing near is that smoke, picture it billowing up. They're expecting to return back to their wives and to their children before they knew that they were going to battle. So imagine those goodbyes. Some of those men and those women know that that would be the last time that they would have seen each other. As these men are coming back because they didn't have to go to the battle, they are excited to see their families, their wives, their children. And what they see as they're drawing close to Ziklag is the smoke and the smoldering. And they enter in and they just crumble. And when they have no more strength to cry, and they've got it out of them, and they've been crying out to the Lord. As they start talking to themselves, they start saying that David, this is David's fault. If David didn't bring us here, my families, my wife, my children would not be gone. So they start talking about killing David. And it says that David is greatly distressed. And again, in this contrast between Saul and David, Saul was also greatly distressed and is pursuing not God. And here David, this is where we're watching David backslide away from God in his action, in his heart. And this is where we watch David launch from the mire, from the pit, that we watch him just launch into the sky in the glory of God that he is to image for us. David is a man after God's own heart. David is a man. He is a broken man. He is a man who is going down his own life path. And sometimes he's making good decisions. Sometimes he's making bad decisions. He's been making a bunch of bad decisions. And I'd ask you, what counsel would you give to David in this circumstance? As here is David, David is completely at the bottom and he is broken and people are talking about killing him. He has been rejected from everybody. His wives are gone. The people that he's responsible to care for have been, have been taken away captive. He knows this is all his fault. All of this weight is shoving David down to the ground. What would you counsel David? How does David get out of the pit? This, this one sentence, it's one of the most important sentences in the Bible. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, what does that mean? Did David just, you know, strap up his boots, so to say, and, and pick himself up and give himself a motiv motivational space and slap himself on the face a couple times and wash his face, all right, and let's get going kind of attitude? Is that how you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Again, this is not David strengthened himself. This is David made a choice. And this is a choice of repentance. 
This is a choice of trust. We don't know what David cried out to the Lord as he is crying and snotting himself to the point where he has no more strength. We don't have that conversation between he and God. We don't know what he confessed. We don't know what he repented of. But what God has preserved for us, David remembered his God. David remembered our God. And this is, this is the sentence that we need to speak to ourselves day in and day out. If you want strength in this life, you trust God. We can sit with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, famous passage. He's given the list of all of his brokenness and how he's being tormented and pursuing Jesus to remove this thorn that's in his flesh. And what does Jesus tell Paul? My grace, my favor, it's sufficient for you. My strength, it's, it's perfected in weakness. This is a moment in David's life where he recognized he has no strength. He has no way of fixing this. He has no way out. He can't claw himself out of the mire. The only way that, that David is, again, that he is lifted out of the mire in his relationship with God, that he is lifted out of the mire and lifted up into that position, that he is to image to us as the Messiah, as the anointed one of God, is that David made the conscious choice to strengthen himself in the Lord, his God. Not Samuel's God, not Abraham's God. In this moment, this is, this is where David makes a turn in his life. And look at all of his behaviors. So we immediately see as David is choosing to strengthen himself in the Lord, trusting in the Lord for his strength, trusting in the Lord for provision, for protection, for reconciliation, for restoration, for the solution to whatever I have just caused in my life, David makes the choice to go to God in prayer. Abiathar Bring the ephod, our understanding that this would have the Urim and the Thummim. So he's going and talking to the high priest. Let's inquire of the Lord in the way that we've been instructed. And does God withhold his voice from David? Do you think that David deserves for God to withhold his voice and direction in his life based upon his behavior? A lot of, a lot of us feel that way. Look at, look at the mess that David has made. Look at the mess that you've made. Look at what you did. Do you deserve the love of God? You don't. Does he give it to you? Absolutely. Anytime you genuinely, through faith, seek your God, you will be strengthened and you will be directed. And God, again, in this, in this moment where David is being strengthened by the Lord, by his new choices, God speaks to David. He asks God a couple of simple questions, and God gives two simple answers. Go, and I promise you, you are going to recover everything. And this word for recover has everything to do with salvation. When we're seeking the Lord, how do I fix this? What do I need to do? This isn't, a, this isn't a moment where David is looking for righteousness in God, where he is um, 
by his behavior, he is making himself to be clean in God's sight. David is already clean in God's sight. But David has actions that he, need, he needs to do something. So he's asking God, God, what do I need to do in this moment? And God tells him, you will pursue and you will overtake and you will overcome them all. He gives him the next step to do and he gives him the promise of what the result is going to be. Because David needs to hold on to this. Because now as the men get up and pursue, they're already tired from marching back home as quick as they can for a few days. There's 600 men that are carrying the baggage and all the provisions and everything that's necessary. When you get to this brook, don't think of it as this little, you know, five-foot-wide little river that you can skip across. This is three, 400 yards wide. This is a huge depression in the ground. So there's a constant brook that goes through it, but there's a major travel down. There's a major travel up. And it says that 200 of these men, they are exhausted. So when you're going and you're hunting to save your wife and your children, do you want to lose a third of your army? Anybody? A third of the army needs to stay behind with the supplies. Stay back with the load. The 400 guys are going to be light on their feet, and they're going to pursue As they're pursuing these 400 men, they run across an Egyptian. What should David do with this Egyptian? Does he have time to spend and nurture this one guy as he's trying to hunt down his wife, his wives, the wives of the other men, their children? Look at this again. This is, this is where David is being lifted up into that position as the anointed king of Israel. This is, we're watching God do a work in his heart. We are watching David image for us the heart of Jesus towards us. Because you can place yourself in this position as this Egyptian. You've been the slave of the world. You are dehydrated. You are hungry. You are sick. And here comes Jesus to walk alongside of you. Even though there's a greater mission to perform, there's a pause here. There's, a, there's an image here. There's an illustration here. There's a, there's a hospitality here. There's a care here. There's a compassion. Do you think David needs this Egyptian to show him where the Amalekites are? I'm sure that there's many other means as they're able to track an army that's traveling across the desert to see where they go and to ask other people which direction to go. They pause. They care for this man. This man tells David, I'm one of the guys that burned your town. I'm one of the guys that's your enemy. What do you want to do to this Egyptian? Do you want to give him some cakes and some bread and some water? Swear to me, David, by your God. Swear to me that you won't hurt me and harm me. I'll, sh I'll show you where. Again, in this, we don't have that, the fullness of the conversation that's going on. But again, we're watching David walk down that narrow path of the man that God has called him to be in the moment. And as he runs across this man, God is allowing this to occur. This man ends up leading him to where 
the Amalekites are and when the 400 men come up over the hill and they're able to spy it out, what are the Amalekites doing? What would your concern be for your wife, gentlemen? What would your concern be for your children? And the hand of God is all over this. The people are not hurt. What did David do when he attacked the Amalekites? He killed everyone. What are the Amalekites doing to David's people? They're all okay. It's a, it's a crazy contrast to sit in. But here they are. They're singing. They're dancing. It's not just Ziklag that they've attacked. They've attacked all these other cities of the Philistines and of the towns of Judah. And they are, they're just having a party with all the riches that they've been able to achieve in their successful battles in this scene. What is David trusting in? God told me to pursue them and gave me the promise that I would overtake him. Promise once fulfilled. What's promise two to David from God? You will recover. You will save. You will deliver all. And what are we told twice in the text? David recovered all. Now, sit with the image of David as imaging Jesus for us. When Jesus, our creator, took on this flesh, how did he pursue the enemy? How did he overtake the enemy? We're told on the cross. He overcame sin and death on the cross, his resurrection being the testimony of that truth and the power of it. And he's pursued every single one of us to deliver us, to save us, to cleanse us, to restore us. This is the image that's being given. And it's, it's incredibly tender. It's incredibly powerful. He's hunting you. Do you want to know that God has called you to a relationship with himself? If you are listening to my voice, you are 100% called by God to him through his son, his sacrifice, his resurrection. You are guaranteed the gift of the Holy Spirit if you bend the knee and you believe and you trust and you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. 100%. Every single one of you has been pursued and are being pursued by God. How do I know that? Because he's brought you here this morning. You're listening online. This, you may be listening to this 20 years down the road, and the Lord has preserved this. He has called you. He has pursued you. For what purpose? To recover you from the grip of the enemy that's dancing, singing. I mean, you look out in the world right now, the enemy is singing and dancing and celebrating over the lives of those he holds as captive. And Jesus is on the hunt for every single human being to call them out of that darkness and that captivity. That's what this is imaging for us. And when the men return, what are we told? There's these worthless guys with David. 
These sons of Belial, they're useless, they are worthless, they are jerks, they're, you know, we're told earlier that all these guys that were in debt and distress and, you know, just the guys that you don't want on your team, those are who signed up to be on the roll of David's army. David's got a mixed bag of men and families in his midst. And we're not told that they're we're not told that everybody with David is on the same page as David in his relationship with God. We've got, picture it in, in our own context where, you know, we're, we've gathered together. There's a, there's a whole group of us that has gone and done this work for the Lord. And then there's a whole group over here. They don't have their time. They're weary. They're exhausted. They, they just can't do it. And then we come back all celebrating. And, you know, there's those in us that want to say, you know, you don't have any reason to celebrate with us, take part in this. You didn't have anything to do with this. You didn't participate. Um, you know, so, so go away, leave us alone while we celebrate. I mean, that's the attitude that's being expressed. What does David express? Anybody been too exhausted to get up and do the hard work of whatever service looks like? Anybody? <laughs> Are you a loser and useless and worthless person because you're out of energy and you're exhausted. You don't have the physical strength, the mental strength, the spiritual strength in the moment. You couldn't go do what you were being invited to do. And what does the enemy want to do to you? Sits there and chatters away at you. You're not a real Christian. The Lord doesn't love you. You're not part of the body of Christ. You're alone. You can't do what everybody else is doing. Any, any of you hear those voices? The enemy's always there to harass us. Again, look at David imaging Jesus for us. What does he tell those who are chattering, those who have bad hearts, bad attitudes, bad actions? Those who stayed behind, those who are exhausted, those who can't go, part of the body of Christ. Those who don't agree with you, those who don't look like you, those who have different practices than you, let the Lord work that out in their lives. Don't you pick up the stone and throw it at your brothers and sisters because you don't like their behavior, because you think you know what they ought to do today and tomorrow and in history. That's what this is imaging for us. What does Jesus tell in the New Testament? You know, the disciples are going to Jesus. Jesus, they're not with us, and they're speaking in your name and casting out demons in your name, but they're not of us. They're not with us. What does Jesus tell them to do? Leave them alone. They're not against me, before me. What does Jesus tell Peter? When, Peter, when John, uh, Jesus tells Peter how Jesus is going to die, and now to Peter's mouth, well, what about John? Don't you worry about John. You worry about you and me. You worry about keeping your strength in me, in that relationship, in faith and in trust, and I will lead you and I will guide you, and you trust me with John. You trust Jesus with those who are weak. You trust Jesus with those that you would consider to not have as much strength in the Lord as you. You trust, the, you trust Jesus with those who you think are immature or not as educated, not as knowledgeable, haven't been traveling down the road as long with you, who are just weird in their personalities and their life because they're different than you. 
You trust Jesus with the body of Christ. Amen? I mean, that's, that's what this is communicating. This is, the, this is how David is imaging our Lord to us. Whatever you do for the Lord, in the Lord, through the Lord, you are valued. You are loved. You've been pursued, and you are cared for, and you will participate as an heir in the entire kingdom of Christ. How's that for a promise? And then what does David choose to do with this stuff? So remember, this isn't just the possessions and the people of Ziklag. This is the possessions and people of the Philistines, of some of the towns of Judah. And David, this is now because he is the victorious general Everything that he has just captured is now under David's authority, has been given into David's hands. What does Jesus tell us at the end of the Gospels? All what has been given to him. All authority, all power, all possessions. It's all his. He created it, and he bought it with the price of his blood. All authority has been given to Jesus. What does Jesus choose to do with what's his? He chooses to give it to you. Here's some of my spoil. Here's the result of my victory. Here's a gift that I'm giving to you for what? To be a blessing. Look at what David does. There's, there's, we have a list of cities that we can't even pronounce. We have a list of communities that we have no idea how they have supported and loved David over the course of his 10 years as he's been on the run. Remember, the majority of the time that he's been in the tribal area of Judah in the land, and these communities have helped him. They've hid him. They haven't told Saul where he is. What is David choosing to do with that loyalty, with that friendship? I want you to participate in the spoil, in the blessings, in the reward. You are my friends. I love you. I'm giving you a gift in in, in, uh, endorsement of that friendship. I value you. I value the friendship. I value the relationship. And again, here, David is once again imaging for us the hearts of our Christ. Most important line in this section, David made the choice to strengthen himself in the Lord his God. If you want to be strong in all of the weaknesses and brokenness that you have, you have to make the choice. God has called you and has called you to himself, but you have to make the choice whether that you are going to allow him to be your strength today and tomorrow, and for all eternity. We watch David in a season in his life where we have that question mark of who's your strength, David? What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your behavior? I don't want my life to be a question mark to you. I don't want my life to be a question mark to myself as I, as I look at myself in the mirror and look at my behavior and the words that are coming out of my mouth. 
I want to reflect Christ just like David is reflecting Jesus for us in this passage. Again, like my image is that he is down in a hole in a pit and he's been launched up like a firework and he just exploded in the light of God. That's, that's the image that David's given for me in this scene. And what it causes me to do, it, help, it causes me to forget all of David's baggage because he's imaging to me Jesus. And what are we to do to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Man, when you're imaging Jesus to me, I forget about all your weirdnesses and what you did to me in the past and what you said or when you weren't there when I thought that you needed to be there, right? All those dependencies and those judgments that I have and those stones that I can throw at your direction, man, all that stuff goes by the wayside. When Jesus is my strength, life is really good even though it's hard. Strengthen yourself and your God today. Strengthen yourself and your God tomorrow. Make the choice. Worship team, come on up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Lots of conversation this morning, just even in worship and in prayer earlier through this text. Lord, we long to see you. I love all the sections in your word, Lord, where you're, you're imaged to me. I love the, the passage that we went through today because every, all, everything that David is doing, Lord, it causes me to look at you and to see you and to know who you are as my king, as the anointed one. It forces me to look at, at how you have pursued me and you delivered me from the grip of the enemy. I give you thanks. Thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for giving me gifts, Lord, that I absolutely do not deserve. Thank you for being my king and my protector, my provider. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you, Lord, for the new heart and the new eyes and the new ears, Lord, and the new behaviors. I long to see you. I long to be in your presence fully. But when I look at my brothers and sisters, Lord, and how they encourage me, how they, how they image you to me, I always have this other part of me that's saying, Jesus, please wait. I'm really thankful for my life and I really want to grow and to help others grow in you. And Lord, I'm, I'm longing for the Egyptians of this world, Lord, that are owned by another master, for them to be encountered, to have an experience with you, to encounter you, to be fed by you, to have their thirst satiated by you, Lord to be blessed by you, for them to make that choice that they are yours and you are theirs. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.